and welcome back to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the thoughtful book club podcast that is always confident enough to tell their in-laws or its in-laws to mind their P's and Q's. Though, to be <laughs> fair, I don't have any in-laws, but I could, you know, I feel confident telling my family to leave me alone. How do you feel, Amanda? I definitely feel comfortable telling my family that. <laughs> yeah, okay. The in-laws do complicate things, though, when it's not your business, when it's not your mess, you know? Right. Harder to clean up. <laughs> Joining me as ever, I'm Travis, by the way. Joining me as ever is podcast co-host Amanda. Welcome back, Amanda. Thank you. We are here, of course, today not to tell our in-laws off, as I do not have them and Amanda's aren't here. We are instead here <laughs> to discuss the Korean novel Kim Ji Young, born 1982. If you haven't understood the references so far, that is because we are making a light allusion to that novel. We are here today to discuss the second half of it, and in fact, the work in its entirety. This is the part two of that book club we are doing on that work. So last Friday, we posted part one of that book club, and then today, this episode is the second part. A book club for us is an analytical deep dive into a work, so we'll be discussing the entirety of it. Full spoilers, we'll even be discussing criticism outside of the work work from critics and, and other folks. This was a book that Amanda chose based on a prompt I gave her to pick something translated from Korean, and you chose this one, Amanda. Why? Refresh our uh, listeners. Sure. Um, I chose this one because I had I wanted to choose something that was written recently, <clears throat> and mm-hmm. um, I chose it as well because it had um, an impact on the Korean Me Too movement. Um, to the point where some of the laws have changed and there's a more willingness to have a conversation about uh, gender roles and gender rights and stereotypes. So, Yeah, yeah, it impacted real-world events. I saw in when I was researching lightly the news around it and reviews around it, I saw that a couple of Korean pop stars talked about it or maybe read it or said that they mm-hmm. did. And so, you know, it seems like it's been making legitimate real-world cultural impacts and waves and everything and so yeah amanda chose kim jiung born 1982 that's what we're going to be discussing the second half of if you've stumbled upon this podcast and all that sounds very confusing to you because you've never read this book and you didn't listen to part one well go back and check the feed because there's a book recommendation for this work so if you're just curious about it go listen to the book recommendation those are meant for people who have never heard of the book before and if you are curious about it and you want to hear more about the first half then go check out part one of our book club as for us, Amanda, we're going to now venture into the entirety of it, especially the second half, and discuss what we thought of this novel. Are you ready? I'm ready. Maybe I'll do that as just our normal check-in. I kind of liked it. <laughs> <laughs> are you ready? We'll make it like a gladiator, American gladiator sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think we are the American <clears throat> gladiators of book club podcasts, but we'll leave that analogy for another time. <laughs> Anyway, on to the highs and lows. We're going to begin with our first normal segment for these part two book clubs, and we like to just begin by discussing what we thought the book in its totality um, had as high moments and had as some low moments. Amanda, I'll let you start first, pick an either high or low moment. What do you got? Uh, yeah, I one of the high moments that I chose um, was that there was actually some metaphors in the second half of the writing, which I know you mm-hmm. <clears throat> were... Uh, in the last episode, we were talking about how uh, it's a very clinical writing style and there's not a whole lot of uh, stylistic devices that are being used, but there were some actual metaphors that um, I picked up on. And one of my favorites actually was um, on page 139 where um, there's a comparison between maternal love to religion, uh, <laughs> specifically yeah, to yeah. Christianity. 
And uh, she says, accept maternal love as your Lord and Savior, for the kingdom is near. <laughs> yeah. um, and I just loved that metaphor because it's something that I think even American readers can really can really understand because there's this whole movement about, um, you know, getting away from epidurals, doing the natural birth and, you know, keeping your womb as like clean and pristine as possible and not taking any kind of medications for it and like all this stuff. And, um, you know, the idea that that childbirth is beautiful and that as long as doctors leave you alone, then it'll happen without any hiccups, which was not true. There's a reason why a lot of people died in childbirth long ago. <laughs> yeah, right, uh, right. Because they didn't have the the medical advances that we do now. But I mean, I totally understand it because I, with Viola, I, I definitely wanted to have a natural birth. I did the whole birthing center thing instead of going to the hospital. Uh, that was the plan. But uh, the thing is, is like childbirth doesn't always go to plan, which also... Yeah. We see that in the novel with her best friend who dies during childbirth. Right. 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 Um, so I just thought that that was really interesting and it's a, a great conversation to have too. If, if you're like, I don't know why I would want to read some kind of, you know, a Korean book about this stuff when, but I think that a lot of these um, things that the, the ideas that she introduces in the book are also just universal so yeah no and it the back to the religious element and that sort yeah. of poignant comparison sort of satirical almost or you know critical certainly comparison yeah almost cult-like mindset of it it certainly mm-hmm. helps i mean it you know you can justify a lot of all manner of suffering and difficulty and hardship and everything if you believe in something else if you i believe her mother at some point calls it the power of maternal love or something or maybe that was her friend yeah. i can't remember which character said that term but it was sort of they were in awe of uh, kim jiang and was just sort of saying wow you must really you know you must be imbued with that great great righteous power of maternal love and in reality i think psychologically she just feels a bit more neutral or even worn down over over the whole process and all the whole endeavor so yeah, and she also suffers from postpartum depression and stuff like that. Which, yeah, um, yeah. and she talks to her mom about, oh, wow, like you were, you were doing like working and you were um, raising three kids and you had to live with your mother-in-law and how like you made it, you never complained. And she and then the mom is like, yeah, it was like a terrible time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You talked about how terrible it was, and she's like, well, how come people don't talk about that? It's all like the idea of the maternal love as like it defeats all need for any kind of help it it overpowers your exhaustion as a parent and stuff like that and it's just a it's a great conversation (laughs) yeah yeah that i think that description was well put and definitely noticeable like you said because of the writing style those moments pop a bit more and that one certainly did too same with the moment with the big radish but i don't know what to make of that (laughs) it's a different it was even a different slanted font anyway I'll go in with my high moment then, though this one's complicated because I think it's a bit of both, but the reason it's a would be a low is because of my imagination. In the story, the twist at the end I thought was a high moment. I thought it worked. The mm-hmm. revelation that as we suspected in the first half, or I know I was worried about this, I think you felt neutrally, that it would f- there would find some kind of in-universe justification for the way it was being written, the very clinical and spare writing style. 
And it mm-hmm. does because these are, as it turns out, a psychologist or a therapist notes. I think that worked better if it was such a brief little part. You know, it's a couple of pages. You get this man's ideas about her condition and his sort of sympathy or maybe lack thereof of her condition. I think the final lines kind of make it all click into place the most because you go from one page of him saying, it's incredible that other generations ignored these issues to him yeah. then ignoring the issues and not yeah. coming around with his own employee. You know, he has structural power with that employee, but then laments how she has to take a maternity leave. And now he's just going to hire someone who is single and has no prospects or something and just doesn't want to deal with that as a you know complication to his practice. And so it is a final twist of the kind of satire and criticism knife. And it is a final twist of just the cultural commentary. I guess it's not really satire, but it's more just cultural commentary observation that these deeply ingrained problems are deeply ingrained. And that's maybe a simplistic observation, but it's it is a nasty way that it can twist and ball itself up. And even if you think there's some kind of savior coming in the form of generational change, that may not be as promising as you would hope. And I just thought that overall that worked. I'm not going to go into the low of it because we can talk about that in a different segment. But that, yeah, I thought it worked well. The criticisms I would have of that segment would be because it existed, I then imagined very different ways this book could have been put together. But as it is, it's a very nice uh, critical send off. And I thought that was a high moment for sure. I also really enjoyed the ending and I thought that it connected very well with uh, a comment made on page. um, Hold on one second. I'm looking for it. Um, yeah, on page 119, um, there's an observation that the world had changed a great deal, but the little rules, contracts, and customs had not, which meant the world hadn't actually changed at all. And so it's still not changing by the end of this. And I thought that that was, I really enjoyed the ending because it just ties together that, that connection really well. Yeah. And the, the final lines of the whole thing, even the best female employees can cause many problems if they don't have the childcare issue taken care of. I'll have to make sure her replacement is unmarried. It is, it's such a perfectly emblematic moment of how the interpersonal progress that might be made can be undone by institutionalized bars or barriers, kind of systemic issues that mm-hmm. without those being lifted or eased, you kind of just fall back into the same problems and you end up stuck with a lot of the same issues and so yeah i thought it was just such a well-realized conclusion though later i guess i'll talk through or maybe i'll have a chance to talk through the questions it raised in my mind finishing it that Mm -hmm. way but yeah i thought it really worked it made me want more of it is the is the problem (laughs) it made me it made me the, the poignancy of it I mean, I guess this is the debate between having too much of something maybe is, is sometimes bad. You know, you can overindulge, but it definitely made me think, gosh, I've, more interjections along those lines would have made this more compelling to me. But anyway, it, as it was, it was a high moment, no question. Any other yeah. high moments in, in there for you? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I really enjoyed on page 93, the the particular scene where Jiung's mom finally like stands up to... Ji Young's dad when he says like just be a good girl and get married after right, Ji Young right. is like about to graduate from college is looking for a job and <laughs> this stuff I I just so much loved that scene because you don't see anybody any of the the women really 
like standing up to the men. So this is like the first scene where we actually see Ji Young's mom, who does a lot more as far as like what we can see in the novel. She does do a lot more as far as like telling the husband like, oh, well, actually I did some of this stuff too. And kind of like the under more underhanded, more passive way of asserting herself but this is like just straightforward like you're wrong how could you be so backward right and right. she encourages ji young to run wild which i really i was like yeah <laughs> like it was i was like yeah she needs to run wild and stuff like that and there was also an illusion through thrown in there too where um ji young is comparing the situation to the little mermaid story the hans christian anderson little mermaid story mm-hmm. yeah um, where uh, there's a spell, right, um, where she compares it to the fact that he has never hiccuped before and now all of a sudden he's hiccuping. And uh, it's like by standing up to him and by um, stating exactly what what she was thinking and what she was feeling and standing up for her daughter, finally um, the spell that was cast over the dad, which I guess is like the the idea of um, no hiccups in exchange for her um, backwards ideas, right? And now mm-hmm. yeah. he can hiccup, which I guess means perhaps his ideas will be able to change. I'm not 100% sure yeah, about or that, that. but Yeah, he or that they have just, because of the direct, kind of direct nature of that conflict, have just kind of flummoxed him. He's just kind of, yeah. kind of so stunned, you know, it's just another symptom of him being so shocked. It's It, yeah. it was a poignant moment. Too, because earlier in the story, there was a reflection from Ji Young. Can we just call her Ji Young for short? <laughs> yeah, I don't want Kim, Kim yeah. Ji Young is her entire name, right? So yeah, I, I, there's yeah. something about that. I'm just like, can we just go with the one name? You know, I, I know her so well. Anyway, yeah, Ji Young. When Ji Young <laughs> directly said that growing up, kind of becoming a traditional housewife woman was no longer the expectation that was told to them. They were educated. They were forced to study really hard and go to cram schools and do all of those things. So they're it's sort of they were raised into the academic path, but then it seems quietly, you know, maybe under the surface, they were never directly told, don't worry about school, we're just going to get you married. They had to do, so it's kind of like they have to do both. And so his his slip back into that mindset at that moment, especially when she had already, you know, endured college and had suffered through and done a lot of the things she needed to do, it's double, doubly insulting maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was a... Pretty well-realized moment, too. Always poignant. We'll get to this in the essays in a second. When the men showed up in a, in a louder way, because they don't mm-hmm. that often. So when they when they have longer moments, to when they kind of linger in the story, it's it can be quite impactful. I'll, I'll jump yeah. into one of my lows, then. I don't mind starting us off on the lows. I have two. One is really quick. The other, long. They're both kind of structural. I cannot believe they did not revisit her adult disassociation. I can't believe it. That was my number one hope <laughs> for the whole story in the front half in the that book club was that we would get back to that eerie, again, in my mind, more literary and then it was kind of haunted or gothic feeling or something, that, that really eerie condition and how it was affecting her adult life. I just can't believe it. They never revisited it. I couldn't believe mm-hmm. it. I don't know if you felt that way. Um... I was not that surprised, especially when it was revealed that it's supposed to be the uh, the therapist who's writing it the entire time, which yes. is what I had suspected from yeah. the beginning. So, right. uh, 
Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't too surprised by that. I it, at all. I and there's like, not eh, yeah. There's it no kind of... there's no deep criticism or something. I it's not a decision that led to incoherence. It's just a personal yeah. I just personally found the tone, the pace of that and the conflicts it was sort of I don't know, bubbling up or creating could the riffs it was. Co- I just found all that compelling. So to see it just disappear and then, you know, it's revisited at the end and that he mentions it in his report. Yeah. He like literally says, yeah, and she's having this issue. She's becoming these people. But yeah, it's just not in the narrative. It is not revisited anyway. Mm-hmm. Personal disappointment. I just thought that was really compelling. I, yeah. For all the reasons I said anyway. So that's a quick one. The other one that is, I think, structurally more interesting, and I think there were two moments at the end that sort of, gosh, I wonder if this is going to be me reading this just as a man. I wonder if we can easily file this under man man opinion, not that important, the more I think about it. But (laughs) there was a point, there were two parts of the text at the end, the first being the pornography ring in her office that was busted up. And then the mm-hmm. other one being one of the final moments in the park when when the gentlemen are under their breath kind of criticizing her for being at the park with her child. Right. At some point, mom yeah, at some point inherent to this narrative's, I think, goal, becoming an every woman's story, telling something, trying to encompass something really broad and therefore be be a little bit of everything to a lot of women, I think is almost explicitly the goal of this work. I mean, that's where the footnotes come in. That's where her Mm -hmm. every experience she has in the story is filtered through patriarchy, misogyny, whether, you know, really intense or really casual. And so, but for some reason at that point, I thought, are we just new checkboxing the news? I mean, it, it does get to a point where you, you wonder not, not if this was a real person could all these things happen because sure, of course, these are real things that have happened, but if you're not going to explore them in a little more, I don't know, depth or detail, it just feels like headline ripping. Here's another, here's another. It, I think and part of it for me is that a lot of these incidents, there's not time to dwell. It's kind of just like we're sprinting on to the next one. And it's, you know, the insult at the park is an intriguing example because, they call her a kind of like a cockroach and like a, a leech, you know, like a this mm-hmm. woman. Then the, a man says something like, I would never marry a Korean woman. There mm-hmm. are just ideas there in both the literal like that idea of kind of like leeching off of a husband when you're it's a partnership is, is intriguing in and of itself. That's such a weird kind of myopic view of it. But there's also the literary aspect. I know one of the reviews we'll talk about later brings up like Kafka and that that might be an illusion or kind of like it functions in that way. Mm-hmm. I just, both of those things aren't then explored. Like there's not literary exploration in, in terms of, Ooh, let's take, what what is that mindset? How can that affect you? Or what does that devolve into? It just, because it moves so briskly from thing to thing and and kind of like misogynistic conflict to other misogynistic conflict, I by the end, it was just kind of like, what else are they going to cram in here? And I, the brisk pace of the book exacerbated that for me. At no point did I think it was, again, none of them were so hyperbolically described that I thought, you know, oh, this is just melodramatic or corny or something. It wasn't like that. But I, I, by the time we got to the pornography ring part, I just thought this feels like somebody read a ton of articles and thought, I'm going to get them all in here. Not, I want to focus on one thing. I'm going to focus on it all. And, you know, that's a burdensome thing for a work to do, especially 
a 160 page novel to do it's it covers such ground in such time anyway so mm-hmm. i think i left it feeling really enlightened or just taught in sort of a almost class lecture style way mm-hmm. i just wish you know as someone who always is going to give authors the benefit of the doubt to do literary things and be more creative than not and a little weirder or more bold than not it just felt like a bit checkboxy to me but you know in also very effective so that i thought that moment was when i felt that the most i don't know if you ever felt that way reading it so yeah feel free to jump in here um no like um so one of the things that um, I wanted to comment on too is was when you said that it's like a, a lot of her experiences are filtered through um, the uh, the times like with with articles and things like that. Even this story is filtered. Everything is filtered through like a male lens, right? And including yeah, her yeah. story itself because the narrator is also male. So right, every right. aspect of her life is somehow controlled in a way even her own story is controlled by a dude a guy yes right which is pretty interesting um as far as like the the pacing of the book i i actually quite enjoyed it because i by not delving too deeply into each traumatic experience it just shows like how often this actually does happen um for a lot of girls uh, a lot of women growing up and and not just in Korea but you know even in America you know I've I've definitely shared some of these experiences definitely not the the workplace thing but that was a huge scandal that that happened actually in Korea like to several companies right uh, where that was like a huge thing so yeah for sure it's it's just yeah i was yeah. going to say like societal thing or ill there's definitely different types of and there's different forms of it too there's these revenge porn is its own legal that that's in a current legal battle in the united states because of the way people who film or take pictures now will use that as revenge and sort of to get back Mm -hmm. and yeah there are different that's what i guess where i'm thinking ripped from the headlines that was the point that felt the most i don't know the most extreme it's obviously just a, a very extreme thing that happened could you put that in the narrative? Sure. I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to say it. I'm not even going to say it couldn't happen. That would be absurd. It, it happens and is a real, yeah, issue. But yeah, anyway, sorry, continue. Yeah, but in that case too, it's not Kim Ji Young who actually uh, experiences that firsthand, right? It's her mm-hmm. coworker and friend yeah. who's the one. So she gets to see the effects of that on the women where one woman tries to commit suicide because of the the embarrassment and the shame and the blame that's put on these women and the fact yeah, that nobody is yeah. actually like, you know, doing anything about it. They're just trying to hush it up. Um, anyway, but yeah, I get the, I get the point of like, it does seem like they, the author just kind of like hits a lot of big moments like, like that where it was definitely something that was in the news for sure, especially as part of the me too movement during that time. Um, but it doesn't bother me as much, um, I guess, just because I'm like, yeah, like I could definitely see that happening to somebody. And um, if it happened to Kim Ji Young, like directly to maybe I would have been like, OK, I mean, it's as a bit much. It's like that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Since it's adjacent. It didn't bother me as much, I suppose. Yeah. And it none of it felt incoherent. But at that point, it just became so 
and the, you know, artistically, I'm sure the book had, there were many missions within the book. I'm not going to dare impose into her mind and like what she was thinking when she wrote it. But to me, that was the moment when I felt it was becoming such a blatant project to do it all kind of. And it was sort of like, nothing will be unturned. Uh, you know, every, I, I, and again, I'm, this is me exaggerating when I say every, but it's kind of like every Korean woman who reads this will know something. They'll, they will touch this in some way, whether it's from their life or a friend's or their, you know, it's their, whether their family mm-hmm. or they read it in the headline. Like it just felt that plus rapid pace just kind of, at some point I was just kind of numb to be, it was just kind of like a what's next mindset then. Like, okay, yeah, everything's going to happen. You're going to see all the misogyny and it's many, you know, again, it's picking them all instead of a couple and really exploring them. So yeah. And for better and worse, there's nothing wrong with the story told at that, in that way. Um, That for that, for some reason, that moment just hit me as kind of like, oh, maybe it was because it was, I knew I was nearing the end. So it was kind of like, man, when is this going to relent or when am I going to, yeah, it was just sort of like, when are we going to settle into maybe some, I don't know, more de- in-depth conflicts or something? But yeah, no, I I think it was done with great intent, I, I assume, and I think it kind of worked. Were there any low moments for you or elements? Um, I would just say that, you know, I loved the bits with the metaphors, the similes, the illusions, and they stood out to me so much because it is quite rare in the novel yeah, yeah. Um, because she wanted to focus on like the clinical style and stuff like that. Although she did let in some of that, the literary devices there. And I just, I don't know. It's perhaps like she, there's a reason why we see more of that in the latter half of the novel rather than at the beginning. But I would just love to see more of that um, yeah, at the beginning yeah. of the novel as well. And the framing being the framing it is since it has by the end, such an explicit framing it really has to color i don't know not the way you interpret the whole thing but sort of i mean we were at right. least i was i didn't have as much of an inclination as you did to think that it was going to be some kind of diary or i think you even said kind of like a doctor's note or therapist note or something at the mm-hmm. halfway point so i was left grappling with the style just sort of on its own merits without a in-text what do they call it? Like discursive justification or something. But at any rate, I was just left. Yeah. I was left wondering at it from another angle, but yes, by the end it's so clear and I guess has to recolor how you interpret the the first parts too. Right. Yeah. Let's jump to the essays then. I'm going to, do you mind if I throw yours at you first then? Cause I feel like I went on a long tangent there <laughs> for no, the lows. Good. Let's jump back. Yeah. Let's get, <laughs> let's set you up with no, the great. essay. This is the part where we like to, propose an essay prompt to the other person and they will get a chance to respond to it mostly in outline form we are not literally reading prepared essays that would be madness but we are educators so we do like to filter some analytical thoughts through you know the lens of an essay or a prompt it can be fun to outline these so here's yours amanda which i typed up i'll read it you mentioned this at the halfway point the book club part one and i think by the end of the story i too thought this was a pretty significant stylistic aspect in the story but the men and the boys in the story are barely here and when they show up their sort of interjections in are are almost always as a menace of some kind which i think you know thematically fits but stylistically or thematically then what do you read the role of as the men and the boys too because they have a brother that who whose presence is so marginal (laughs) in weird ways but he does get mentioned though it's in very particular moments she also has a son who i don't think we ever meet do we? Who has a son? Jiang. Doesn't it mention at the end that she ended up having two kids? That she has a son as well as a daughter? 
Oh, I, I, I thought he mentioned that he, the therapist, in his notes, but I could be mistaken. No, he's talking about his wife and his. Okay, son. that that okay, that matters a lot because at that point I was like, wow, the fact that she because I her daughter that's the child she gives birth to and that's documented her pregnancies all that stuff. But and yeah. so okay, yeah, I'm glad I misread that then because when I saw that I was like, wow, that's what a choice to never mention the other pregnancy in the son anyway. But well, so <laughs> regardless of my misread. How do you read the role of the men and the boys then? What what is the as agents in the story, how did you read them? How do you interpret this choice? What did you make of it? Um so the only guy who is actually named um is mm-hmm. Kim Ji Young's husband. Right, right. Uh Daehyun. Jung Daehyun. Um so he's the only one that's actually named. And he's the person who brings her to the therapist and he's supposed to be her partner. In fact, when they first get married, they seem to be on the same wavelength. He does a lot of the cleaning up and she does some of the cooking and they both work and they're both paying off the mortgage and the deposit and all this stuff, right? So they they're on the same page in a lot of ways and it seems great. Um but in the end, he still fails her, um, especially when it comes to uh, his parents not being able to stand up to his parents uh, to protect her and to stand up for her, which they had a, a, an argument about, which ultimately led to his flip like decisions to be like, yeah, why don't we go ahead and have a kid? Because, you know, that's the only way to get my parents off your back is let's just go ahead and do it. And she's like, that's not... I mean, that's a big decision. You're mm-hmm. asking me to give up my career and... <laughs> right, right. He's like, yeah, well, I mean, it's not a big deal. Whatever, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, so ultimately, he fails her in a lot of ways. So with, when it comes to his parents, when it comes to his word choice and his language, when it comes to talking to her about helping with the chores and helping with the diapers, instead of saying, hey, I will take on... Like, half of that is my responsibility, too. We're partners. He uses the word help, which she calls him out on. She's like, uh, right. is this not also your kid? Right, okay. right. Um, and um, just his failure to be emotionally supportive as well, where he's like, she asks him to, like, tell her that she's doing a good job. And he's like, oh, yeah, oh, do you need some love? Here you go. Like, talking to her like a child, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so... In, in that respect, I thought it was interesting that he's a huge part of her life at this point. He's uh, meant to be the person who supports her. He's the only one who's named, so of course he's really important to her, but he still ultimately fails her. Um, even if he did start off, you know, being a partner, in the end he fails to be a partner um, because of the the way that he's raised, the expectations and stuff like that. Then we go on to um, the others who are not named. And many of the men that are actually portrayed in this novel, uh, almost all of them are in positions of power over Ji Young, right? She has to rely on Daehyun for for money and to support her family, um, monetarily and financially anyway. Um, The... The doctor, the the therapist who's writing this, is in a position of power because he could have her instituted. He could institutionalize, rather. He could, you know, he's the one who is actually in power over her own story at this point for us. Um, mm-hmm. CEOs, even her co-workers 
who come in at the exact same time, the male ones, um, are given a position of power over her in that they are given all the promotions over her because they are male. Yeah, at which one point, one of the younger ones brings it up at one of their dinners that he shouldn't have yeah. had the promotion, and he admits right. that. So it's sort of him and the therapist are in league, I guess categorically in the story, is these sort of young figures who perhaps know, they have a notion of what should be happening, but they have no power to do anything about it, and so they kind of just roll with it. It's that silent, yeah. I guess it's that complicity role in, in these right. you know dynamics. So Yeah. They notice it, but they're benefiting from it, so Right, right. Why would they why would they shake it up? Right, exactly. Yeah. Even her younger brother, who is younger and and age is very important in Korea. The the older you are, the more respect you're given and mm -hmm. the way that you actually speak, like the language changes if you're talking to somebody older. Um okay, so there's yeah. a lot more respect for that. So in in that in that way, the younger brother should have more respect for his his sisters. However, because he is male, he is given a position of power where they are the ones who are having to cater to him. Uh, so even yeah. a younger sibling in any other dynamic, he would not be the one in, in power, but he is the uh, in a position of power over Ji-young because he can make her do anything and, and go crying to the mom and dad and, and she would be punished, right? Yeah. Um, so all of these guys are in positions of power over her and every single one of them have failed her in some way, whether it's a failure to speak up for her in the workplace to, it, you know, say, hey, don't give me the job. Kim Ji Young, she's like way harder working. Look at like all the work that she's put in and stuff. None of that. And the therapist also fails her in his attitude the younger brother who is enjoying the high life, right? <laughs> like, of course, he's not going to stick the, up for her. I think the last we hear from him, they said some kind of, and maybe this is a either colloquialism or some kind of, I don't know, hedging language, but they said he's extending his education. I don't know if that means it's going really poorly or if he's doing his military stuff. But yeah, I think the last we hear from him is he's kind of in limbo of some kind. He's just sort of like, yeah. ah, he's still maybe in school. Yeah, the thing... Um, that I that I remember about him is that he is um, he has decided to take like a gap year essentially. Oh, okay, that's so, what. The, okay, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. yeah. So he's not going into college. He's not going straight into to the military. He's just taking a year off just to take a year off. Gotcha. Okay. Which seems ludicrous considering Ji Young and Eun Young, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think the whole point of that is like these men are all in positions of power, no matter whether you are supposed to be seen as equals, especially within the workplace. Right. But they are all given positions of power, period. And they are all looking out not for their female counterparts. They're looking out for themselves. Like if you are in a position of power, that means that you if you believe that you are empowered you have certain rights, then you see those people without the same rights as, as lesser than you are, as weaker than you are. And they do not do anything to actually help what they right. would perceive as the weaker sex, right? The weaker gender. Um, and instead, they just take advantage of them, they prey on them in a lot of ways, right? Um, and it's interesting too, especially um, on page 144, Went with the whole um, 
sex scandal at yeah. in the business center and the right. CEO's response to that. Why should we press charges? Why should we go public with this? Do you really want to uh, ruin these men's lives? Protecting mm-hmm. the men instead of helping the women who are one tried to commit suicide, right? One woman tried to commit suicide. They're all going to therapists. They're all paranoid. Several of them quit the office. Like this whole big thing is just blowing up in their faces. And and he's like, well, I'm, I don't want to ruin these men's lives. A common refrain used in the States as well with around there's like yeah. you see this language crop up when there's been certain sexual assault and rape cases in courts. And then mm-hmm. I feel like the college campus not even debates really, but just sort of like the documenting of college campus behaviors and assaults and stuff. This language comes up. I I feel like frequently anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's anyway. Yeah. yeah, So the, these people who are, who are meant to be, if they are, you know, in positions of power who are supposed to look out for those who are not in power, they, they take advantage. They only look out for themselves and uh, men apparently cannot be trusted as long as they remain in power. Right. Then we go to the only male who does not exert any power over Ji Young, and that is her second boyfriend, whom she says, like, remembering how she felt about him, she was so in love that she would sometimes ache because she loved him so much. Yeah. So it was a really good relationship in a lot of ways. She was the one in power financially because he was still in school. She was the one making the money. She was the one giving him gifts. She was the one paying for their meals out. Um, She was the one who was working and therefore had to change her schedule in order to spend time with him. All this stuff, right? So she is in this respect, in that in that relationship, she was the the male, you know, accordingly, um, in that relationship. Yeah, and he didn't resent her, right? And he supported her. He was uh, he, he was her emotional support. Um, and it was just great. It was a great example of like gender role reversal almost, right? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the relationship didn't work out. Um, and we can see that on pages 107 through 108 is the end of their relationship, where the reason for the end of their relationship is... Um, Ultimately, that she is working and working in such a toxic environment where she has to constantly be battling for every piece of ground that she can gain at that company, everything that she has to deal with. She just is exhausted and cannot be the emotional support that her boyfriend needs. So I think that was really important because obviously this guy is more of a progressive person within the story, right? He's the guy who is not demanding that she give up her job and that he has to, you know, because of his pride, he has to be the one to support her and all this stuff. He's right. He's the one right. like, yeah, get whatever, you know, get your job, get your dream job. You should do this. And I, the only thing I want for you is for you to be happy and for you to have a successful career and all these things. Right. So he's the progressive one, but it's like a pipe dream because of the failures of the institutions and the culture. It's it's like a, a statement that you can have a progressive mindset as an individual, but you can't get beyond the cultural ideals and what's happening in, in real life, the legislation and the way that yeah. um, 
the work is cut out and stuff like that. It's it's impossible for progressive movements to flourish. So I thought that was really um, important too. So it's like all these guys and then the one guy who's actually a progressive guy, that relationship ultimately fails because of the institutions that are put in place. No, no firmer an affirmation of that reading than literally the final page or, you know, right. two or three. The therapist twist, I think it ends up being, you know, however many pages it is, but that whole twist at the end... Which mm-hmm. I, I suppose it wasn't a twist, given that you predicted it exactly based on the style of the writing in the story. <laughs> but the, it was—it's a twist, though, and, and so that whole twist I can, can only reinforce that reading. I think, given his immediate sympathy, but then t- turning his back on that when given his institutional power to perhaps change things a bit, and he, you know, just doesn't. Mm-hmm. He just lets the employee go. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the? The role of men, uh, very thorough. I, yeah, an, an impressive, yeah, an impressive read on that. Any anything else from the, yeah, from that angle? No, I don't think so. Sorry, that was really long winded. <laughs> That's the point. It was perfect in that. It was absolutely perfect. Yeah, the the essay is the. That, that's entirely the construction. It's beautiful. Yeah, well said. And I think you covered. I mean, you almost covered them all. I think the only people we left out were. But, I mean, the rest are just such obvious figures of malice, like the guy who follows her from her cram school right. and some of the other, you know, the guys in the park who make comments. It's all – there's those – the ones at the fringes who are nefarious in the obvious way, and then, of course, there's the ones at the the heart of it which are more complicated but ultimately unhelpful. I think her husband is probably the best figure in that regard. I think one of his last things he says in the story is kind of something along the lines of do what you want. I'm happy either, you know, sort of I'll support you. What do you want to do? And that seems really loving and welcoming, but it just, yeah, structurally does not hold up. Yeah. He says that. And then he's like, I can't tell you to take the job that you don't want to do. But the implication being you should do it. Go right, ahead and take right. that job. Yeah, yeah the so, subtext. He sounds supportive, but when you look at the actual message, he's not. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah. Okay, you want to swap essays here? You want to throw yeah, one on me? So Go ahead. My prompt for you. Uh, one of the motifs that we discussed on the last episode was the idea of like fault and blame that keeps coming up. Um, the novel explores this motif in relation to both cultural norms and ideals and government action. Well, thank you, footnotes. Yes. So <laughs> on page 120, uh, Cho writes, do laws and institutions change values or do values drive laws and institutions? So based on what the author has presented to us in this novel, do the laws and institutions need to change for women to be equal or is it more important for the values to change first it's a big question one that would be really well answered with this book i think or could be but also we'd be almost negligent to answer with research outside of it but that's why we're doing Mm -hmm. these as imaginary i'm not i don't really have to do this so (laughs) i thank you for not making me go research for you know like 10 days and try and you know come up with a better answer anyway okay so i'm going to begin with this prompt at with institutions uh, to me, I read the the men's role in the story, given how little individuality there is there, that it does mm-hmm. come across almost as the sort of faceless mob who it, at which at every turn is attempting to thwart the goals, ambitions, happiness of the main characters of the of the women in the story, the women and the girls, and Ji young especially. So I just think my quick reading of that whole dynamic that you outlined very well is that it's 
it's not individualism there. That is a value system, a sort of entity that you're not going to be able to wrangle as just, I'm going to fix this one person. It's just not never going to be enough. Mm-hmm. And because the system is not set up in such a way to sort of start a, to course correct that, I'm reading it that way. So it's kind of, I think it will come down to the institutions or systems, but there's a lot to unpack. So let me begin with a couple other details. The final pages, as we've mentioned already, the therapist laments that one of his best workers has to leave, and then it's this awkward career versus childcare dilemma, and that maybe if that was resolved, that it could be better. And he even mentions that until that gets, I think he says that issue or that dilemma gets solved, it's just going to be something he can't deal with, and it's just he's just going to hire around it. I think on page 85, too, that problem came up in a really clear way. This is a part that was well annotated, too, in the book. And this is when she's debating, it says, with her old coworkers, it says she couldn't picture herself at the company 10 years down the road and resigned after some thought about having a child. Her boss grumbled, this is why we don't hire women, she replied. And women don't stay because you make it impossible for us to stay, her coworker replied. And then there's a paragraph of, you know, footnote information here. The percentage of female employees who use maternity leave has increased from 20% in 2003 to more than half in 2009, and four out of 10 still work without maternity leave. Of course, there are many women who have already left their jobs due to marriage, pregnancy, or childbirth, and have not been included in the statistical sample. The percentage of managers has also increased, but it's not even two out of 10 yet. So, of course, the implication there is you're not going to get those structural changes around sort of empathy and understanding until you have women in positions of power to get that started, to get the ball rolling. Right. It's just sort of how else, you know, you can apply soft social pressure if you want. But, of course, that seems shaky, and that doesn't seem like it's going to get a good or strong or immediate result. So I think between those things, and because of how much of this ends up being centered on child care and child rearing, I think that is the institutional arrangement that needs the most critique, and I think the book makes that pretty clear, too. On 126, mm-hmm. her co-workers passively, aggressively mentioned to her that her time commitment and kind of effort at the job won't be equivalent because she comes in, I think it was an hour later, a half an hour later, maybe. But yeah, she, also, she has the right to come in a half an hour later. Yes. So it's sort of, you know, they're making progress, right? That's a sign of an institutional formal change. But then, of course, you have to get people on board. And that's where the lines become blurry in terms of well, is that a social cultural expectation and perception? I mean, we made the change, right? But of course, if you make a formal legal change, it's not as if people's mindsets are going to change right away either. So I think that's an interesting moment to look at where things get a little blurrier, right? Where it's, you, okay, so you made a good, smart change in terms of time commitment. And also to be noted on 126, is she thinks but doesn't say part of her kind of like silent suffering energy that she's trapped in. I think she thinks like I'm still working the same like it's you know I have to stay later but I just don't have to come in earlier and so anyway that's a good jumping off point though to talk about how there there's so much system value and culture at the bedrock of this that I don't know if that that's how I don't know if the novel presents a clear message so the the way this comes up the clearest right you don't have to have a child in in life you know and in in the world like you don't there's no law of nature now granted biologically maybe a lot of people are you want to have children that's fine and there's impulse and we're an animal species that needs to reproduce fair all points Mm -hmm. taken but there's no law of the universe or even of a country that says you must have kids so that is the line where i think it becomes blurrier where okay 
if the child rearing is a good portion of their strife, and I think basically the entire back half of the story is about that. I mean, there, there are other instances, there's a pornography conflict, there's the, some assault and some commentary, but once she's married, it, the book focuses on child rearing, right? Am I forgetting something? I think it's, that's like the conflict. Yeah, that's one of the, yeah. Yeah. Definitely a main conflict. And yeah. so on on something like 120 then, right, when her in-laws, she meets up, this was the joke at the beginning, right? When she meets up with the in-laws and talks to them, she says things, or they say things like, she's too skinny, her hands are cold, she's too old, she must have bad circulation, there's a zit on her chin. They're doing all these casual, really kind of lightly cruel criticisms of her person, but it's all in the all in the idea that she has to have children, she has to child rear, she has to have kids out there married. Even the husband's remark about it is so offhand. It's, it's probably the most blasé way you can commit to having a child ever, where he says something like, eh, we may as well just do it, I guess. We're going to do it sometime, right? Let's just get it done now. And... That is a social value, cultural expectation that is can be hard to fight against. Of course, in the moment, it seems so easy, or not in the moment, outside of the text, it seems so easy to say, don't have kids. Great. You got good jobs. You can hopefully work your career. There will be misogyny for sure, but you're in a decent situation. You've got a nice employee who's a woman. She seems empathetic. Like there, It's such an easy prescription when you're not living that experience life with that family and that, that history to just say, just don't have kids and whatever. What will come will come. It, you'll probably be pretty happy. And that's where it becomes really blurry. Even on, I think it's 124, the husband, and you covered this well, he has a hard time articulating how he'll support her and how his life will change compared to hers. He even sounds less like a partner in those moments and more like an assistant or kind of a babysitter, sort of a casual, you know, maybe I'll tag in. Or I think like you said, his, his term is help. I'll help out, you know, I'll lend a hand. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's just not the full commitment you would expect. And again, that seems to me social cultural it's not like i mean obviously marriages can be legal legally binding but with child care that is a total partnership dynamic social that's something you and the partner have to work out there's not there's not some legal contract that says who has to do a percentage of diaper changes over another person that's completely up to the social norms of the place you live and that's where it becomes i just think blurrier to the other moment that i thought blurred these together well was the strike team, which we talked about this, her coworker was put, or two of her male coworkers, her age, her level were put onto that team only because it was stated directly to them by their manager that they, because they're men, they would probably stay longer in the workplace. That's the mm-hmm. perfect blend of both because on the one hand you think, okay, but if there are laws protecting their employment status and maybe maternity leave is a little bit more generous and we can get that sorted, like women should have a better time sticking around, we hope, and can keep their employment and stay in that longer. At the same time, then, there's weird workarounds that are more cultural. It's sort of, you know, you don't have to get told why you didn't get that promotion, technically speaking. That's just sort of a boys club mentality. And if that's how the culture is sort of, if that's how it's been built up from its foundation, even good laws might not be able to circumvent that right away or get around that. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, that's about as long-winded as I can go, I think, on this. But I <laughs> ultimately, <laughs> here's where I'll leave it. And a really compelling essay prompt. I do think there, there are complications and blurred lines, like I mentioned those couple examples. I do think because of the way it ends and because of the, the footnote nature, a lot of those deal with institutional problems, documented governmental pr- programs or progress in that regard. 
I do think that in the story, you have to begin with some of those broader sweeping laws, changes, things like that. But at the background, there is this haunting kind of specter and these social pressures and cultural, I guess, just bedrock type issues that, yeah, are also unresolved. And it is casually, it's very casually burdensome, I guess I would say. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you think? Yeah. Any thoughts on which one does the text foreground one of them, you think? Or what, where are we at? It's tough to say, because I, I agree with you that there's a lot of blending. Uh, one one situation that comes to mind for me is um, Unsil, Kim Unsil. Yes, um, her boss. Is, yeah, her boss and is in a position of power. She admitted yeah. to like, and, and Ji Young had the same thought later when she was pregnant. Is she setting a good example? She she fought for maternity leave and paternity leave, right? For both. Right. right. And she um, had implemented a lot of great um, new rules and, and regulations um, to help support female workers. But at the same time, she was like, I was doing all these other things that was like, you know, I, I have the, the rules set in place, but then my actions showed that I was doing more, right? And that I right, expected right. more from the women than from the men. And she's like, and I'm, am I actually doing a disservice by doing some of these things and, and having some of these um, reactions and actions? And Kim Ji-young was wondering the same thing. Like, yeah, Instead of me taking, you know, opportunity, the the chance to come in 30 minutes later so I don't have to fight with the, the morning crowd where I have yes, to stand on yes. my feet because people will not give up my seat, uh, exactly. give up a seat to a pregnant woman um, who's going to work because they have these ideas, right? Um, am I setting a bad example to other girls in the office who might want to have kids? Like, So I think that it's a, that's another great example of how she how like you had these good intentions but then like sometimes your reactions to things your actions kind of like belie what you actually believe or think so it's again that cultural versus institutional um i don't know it's 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 a tough i'm glad that i gave you the question um but yeah yeah (laughs) i i would come down on the institutional side because i think Gosh, again, this gets into such big history questions, but I do think that you'll find historically that sort of those two things are so wrapped up together, right? Your cultural systemic values or expectations versus the institutions yeah. you build up around them. I just think that you can you can shape the culture over time, though as the novel itself sort of deems and and even notices at some point i think there's a quote about this somewhere i don't have it in front of me but it it just takes so long and the progress can be so incremental and so slow but i you know the bigger the problem sometimes the slower the solution sometimes obviously you can yeah you can revolt and do other you know you can do more direct extreme action that's that can work too but yeah it's it's a really tricky problem i think the novel blurs it together I, yeah so many of the footnotes were were more systemic Obvi- well obviously because those things require bigger study and sort of right. you know statistical backing they're a little less anecdotal but yeah it's it is a complex question for sure a great Great essay prompt with, yeah, yeah, plenty to chew on. Any other thoughts on either of those prompts or questions? 
Nope, I think I'm good. Excellent. Well, let's conclude this book club and this novel by going outside of the text a little bit. We're going to do two final segments here. Let's begin with the lost pages. This is a much more casual part. This is when we just decide on a topic, a character, a conflict or something that felt underexplored to us that we wish could have been explored more. Basically, we're proposing something we want more of essentially it could be could be even like a sequel prequel it's really open to interpretation but anything you think was lost that deserves you know to be unearthed or created amanda why don't you start with uh, the lost pages here yeah um what i would have liked to have seen is um what happened to the office workers and the pervy security guard mm-hmm. with that yeah, whole yeah. big office scandal um that is not explored at all i mean there's pushback from the ceo saying he didn't want to take it public he wanted to fix it quietly and but after that statement there's like nothing so we don't actually know what happened legally to these these people um and in the first half of the book we see that again with the flasher like the girls like right beat up this dude (laughs) these little middle school girls beat up this dude who's flashing his junk at children and take him to um, the police um, department, and and then they get punished. The girls get punished by the school because they're like, how you know, it's so shameful that you guys are out there making a scene like yeah, that, to even though disturb like heroes, yeah, disturb yeah. the peace or something. Exactly. But then there's no discussion of like what happened to the flasher after that. So I think that that was very purposeful, but. I think that if she would have, because we see the cultural side, right, of that, where we see culturally what the reaction is, but yeah, we don't see yeah. legal. We don't see the courts and the yeah the punishments. Is. Is. Yeah, all that. So exactly, yeah. What would have happened in that case? So I think that could have perhaps like by by exploring that and and kind of giving a. Um, more information about the the aftermath of that i think that could have perhaps helped us to to better mm-hmm, answer mm-hmm. my my essay question <laughs> which is yeah. which needs to be changed more <laughs> um but yeah i mean I, I think that it was very purposeful it's meant to be up in the air like that yeah. but but i would have enjoyed and to be clear when i brought that up as a low moment would have happened to them. Um, perhaps this is why that is a large enough scandal topic event that's its own movie tv series book i don't you, you could i mean that's a event so extreme, mm-hmm. dramatic, intense, and violate. Like it, that is just a whole entity of problems and traumas built up in that happening. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you could spin that off into whatever, whatever size thing you wanted to do. You know, you could even do a novel like this and talk about all of the history that would lead to, you know, men behaving that way, doing things like that. Any, anyway, no, I think that's really well chosen. Cause right. that is such a sort of flamethrower event of just, of kind of drama and trauma that it, yeah, no, I completely agree. It's could easily be spun out and explored. I have two yeah. and I there, but one of them is, structural and I'll just start with this one I just wanted more adult Kim Ji-young that's it that I wanted it at the beginning I still want it I still think that it's that's the simpler answer I'm going to start there because that's just baseline and I know I said this earlier so just quickly revisit it I just thought that was really compelling I would love a version of this that showed her further either descent into disassociation and how that impacts 
all kinds of things in her life or, you know, her maybe recovery from it. Maybe she blips in and out. I don't know that just give me more of that. I, the revisiting of her life was the story and it, I think it worked, but anyway, that was something I missed to me, the more, and this gets to the twist of the whole thing with the therapist. I, when that was inserted, part of me just thought, okay, the lost pages for me will be the lost potential structure of the, what this novel could have been. And, you know, this is me becoming an editor or something. And I far mm-hmm. be it for me to tell this, this successful author and her excellent book, how to rewrite it or something. But because of the way that ended, I just thought, why not throughout the book? There's so much more interjection you could do and so much more betrayal we could see if he is sort of maybe tracking his progress with her over time and sort of having realizations of his own and then being a hypocrite about it, which it all comes in at the end. He, he is empathetic and then hypocritical in like five page turn. Right. I, that twist, though, just made me think I would have liked more narrative yeah. and voice from that character. Not maybe a dual narrative, but maybe something at the beginning and then maybe a couple times in the middle, just more interjections. I just, it felt very plot twisty, like, hey, surprise. And I mean, anytime you set up a structure where the final 1% of the book is radically different than the 99 before it, that feels like a, not a gotcha twist, but it feels like that's what the author has to have intended, right? I mean, Otherwise, why not at the beginning say, this is, I am Dr. So-and-so, these are my notes on my page. Like, you can just tell us, and then then the whole style makes sense. And then at that point, we don't have any of those questions or debates, right, at the beginning. We're just like, oh, this is the story and structure they chose, this is the voice. So to do it in, in that twisty way, My Lost Pages is just a version of this that's upfront about it, and then can build that trust up and f- have us feel that betrayal in him a little more. At that point, though, I will say this, and again, this is probably the intention. At that point, he's a main character, and this just isn't a book about a man, really. You know, it's obviously filtered through his professional lens, but because it is such a catch-all, every woman's story, and that's what made it so successful and I think provocative in, in the cultural way, I, you know, you can easily say that that version wouldn't work or wouldn't be as good or interesting or, you know, we don't want to give him that many pages, all fair points, but it did make me wonder mm-hmm. what a version of this book like that would be. So that's my, yeah. Any thoughts on that? or I think that if, if from the beginning it's like she, if she immediately points out that this is written from supposedly from yeah. a male perspective about a female patient, then we would have a lot more uh distrust yeah, right. as we read right. through of the narrative right um because then we know for sure that there is a male possibly a male spin mm-hmm. on the experiences which is also perhaps why like we don't get a lot of the in-depth of course stuff of yeah. like descriptions Completely. of some of the traumas and stuff right um but but by leaving it like we're not like i i knew that there was you know a, yeah. a therapist writing this right it was very clinical but uh, you don't know that mm-hmm. it's a male right until the very end um so then you you have more trust you have more of like okay yeah this is something that i i totally believe in and stuff like that that actually happened this way um and then the at the end when you find out it's a male then you're like oh 
now I want to like go back and see if if I do trust the narrative as much. But yeah, I think that the first read through, not knowing that it's a male, I think that it if you knew that it that it's a male narrator, you would definitely yes. it would completely change the way. So my my flip response, though it's sincere, I, I feel like I want to say this. I want to drop the pull the pin in this grenade and then not watch it explode. But I do have to say this then. By doing the twist this way, uh, no psychiatrist in, in the existence of this earth has written a 160-page novel of a patient report. Uh, this could be five pages long, just to be clear. This would be a five-page file. <laughs> it would take the, you know, for the five, uh, 50 pages about her childhood and say, she had a steady but a little uneven childhood. Her brother had preference. Her mom struggled. Her father's maybe an alcoholic. And wasn't abusive, but wasn't attentive either. And that, and maybe a couple anecdotes about her relationships along the way. Done. Like I, th- to make it this, and th- the reason why I want to walk away from this is because we quickly arrive at a point where we're just saying, well, what's the point of fiction at all? You know, like what's the nature of a story told? I, yeah. And so I don't want to mm-hmm. do that. That's just w- too broad. I just think if you're going to commit to this really commit to it i again as a twist it was something i really enjoyed i thought it worked as a a little moment one final again to me like dagger twist at the end of just sort of ooh, and here was the lens and ooh, even he is not you know he has not he is a hypocrite and he is not helpful either really and so yeah completely worked for me it it just (laughs) opens up a really big set of questions also in my brain as to you know there's so many good footnotes in here where's the three thousand word article i could have learned I could have learned as much about Korea in 5,000 words as I did in this novel. I don't know if I would have been in, as enraptured by it, engaged, etc. You know, like, is that a headline I click on? I might just read the headline, right? And that's the, that's how fiction can be so alluring and powerful. And so anyway, but again, I just want to walk away from those. Just wanted to say them because that's, I think, where my reaction's coming from. But yeah, that's br- brief thoughts on that. Okay, let's quickly go to critical assistance here. We do like to end the book club very last thing, we go to some reviews or some outside criticism of this work. Amanda, why don't you start us off? I see you pulled something from The Guardian. I did. Um, the, the article is entitled uh, Kim Ji Young, Born 1982 Review, South Korean Me Too mm-hmm. Bestseller, and this is by Sarah Shin. Um, I chose this particular article. I had another one that I was going to do, and then I chose this one because this one actually does talk about the, yeah, yeah. the style of the novel, um, whereas the other one that I was going to pull from, which yeah, is I saw an that NPR too. article, which I f- found fascinating. Yeah, the NPR article, though, was all about the the impact of the novel and didn't actually discuss any of the stylistic choices made. Um, so, but yeah, the NPR one is also a good read if you want to know what impact it had on Korea. Um, but this one, it's... Um, there are a couple of points that I thought um, the author, Sarah Shin, made that I, I enjoyed. Um, it says here, this Korean bestseller chronicle, oh, sorry, chronicles the everyday struggle of women against endemic sexism. Its provocative power springs from the same source as its total crushing banality. And I thought that was really interesting because we were talking about how uh, it's you know it's it's a fast paced read and and there's not a whole lot of depth given to a lot of these traumas, but it's meant to seem like you know it's an everyday experience like you're just constantly 
yeah. faced with the sexism and it's just like when do, when do these examples yeah. stop they yeah. never do right it's just an everyday struggle so i thought that was really interesting and a good point and then um, here it talks about the the structure. What does it mean to narrate a life in a strictly chronological fashion? The linearity of the account feels claustrophobic with the case study style objectifying Ji Young and stripping her of her interiority. Cho's formal excision of any sense of imaginative possibility is highly effective in creating an airless, unbearably dull world in which Ji Young's madness makes complete sense. Her derangement is the only way out of the cramped paradox of gender-based roles. So when we talk about the yeah. structure of the novel being, you know, clinically written and fast-paced and everything like that, it's also as we see, as we were talking about with like the fact that the narrator is male and in a position of power, it also is interesting that we don't get a whole lot yeah, of Kim yeah. Ji-young's inner voice either. Um, so there, yeah, we do see some examples of where like we see some emotional response at times, but for the most part, we don't actually get to see uh, Kim Ji-young's thoughts and feelings. Um, about what's happening around her in fact like there's a lot of comments that she makes about like how she you know she doesn't feel like she can comment she doesn't feel like she can say anything there are definitely moments where she her feelings are clear on something but then again it's usually interior you know it's not she Mm -hmm. it's not in the dialogue for two others right it's very she feels very trapped and alone it's an excellent uh, yeah right. that's so well put that's a great quote i it opens up some ideas in my mind too about its construction i it, it does feel rather claustrophobic i don't know if that's the word i would have ever come up with on my own reading kind of reading through the story and thinking about the story uh, the unbearably dull mm-hmm. airless world is also incredibly well put that i think I, I felt for sure it's her life and i mentioned this earlier in the structures of her life just moves from one injustice to another and there's just no time or space in the story for levity or sort of you yeah. know for her to be a interesting creative full person i think she is a full person but also it just all gets filtered through this sort of breathless misogynistic just yeah it's almost like a marathon of misogyny and yeah it becomes exhausting to read even if it's banal which we taught which is a right. quote too yeah and and what i when i read that particular part of this article it made me think of like in mm-hmm. in yeah. gaming terms and D terms um railroading right so the idea that you have no other choices you're just being pushed through a narrative that you have no real you you think you might have control over but in reality, the person who's in control, the DM or the GM or, you know, your computer or whatever. Yeah. It's yeah. all you're given choices, but the the end is ultimately the same. And so it's that's what it made me think of when reading that quote and thinking of Kim Ji-young. It's like her she's she thinks that she has choices through her life. Uh, but the reality, and, and this is reflected in the linear structure, the reality is that she's just like pushed through life. Yeah. Yeah. Any other quotes from that article that stood out to you? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, the the last bit that I'll I'll just very quickly read. The first Korean novel in nearly a decade to sell more than one million copies. It has become both a touchstone for a conversation around f- feminism and gender and a lightning rod for anti-feminists who view the book as inciting misandry. There was a crowdfunding campaign for a book called Kim Ji-hun, born 1990, showing the reverse discrimination faced by men. The book has also touched a nerve globally. It's a bestseller in several Asian countries and um, 
mm-hmm. specifically like Japan is having their own moment I know right now. And it says the character of Kim Ji-young can be seen as a sort of sacrifice, a protagonist who is broken in order to open up a channel for collective rage, along with other socially critical narratives to come out of Korea, such as Bong Joon-ho's Oscar-winning film Parasite, her story could change the bigger one. What what I really picked up on here is the idea of collective range, um, rage. And this article talks a lot about collective trauma, collective ideals, like it, it, playing on the mm-hmm. idea that uh, Korea is a collective society. Um, whereas, you know, the United States is, um, an individualistic society, right? Um, which is completely different where we have, um, the emphasis being with a collective society, they use their cultural, um, information, their cultural ideas to enforce, um, the, the, authoritarianism yeah. of of their government of of their belief system and stuff like that right so it's so i thought that was really interesting the the collective rage and the um the idea that this has had so much of an effect on not just korea but also the other asian countries there and that it's become a, a global sensation already it was so rare that a novel can do such work in these times it's just not the i think it's still a really popular art form and and you see in terms of adaptation it might even still be the leading creative art form in the world because of how often you know every time you see a tv show or a movie that's really successful it's almost always adapted from a (laughs) from some from a not for something written you know what i mean so i think in terms of thought leading and sort of creative generation or something it is still up there but to have it so directly translate is is extremely rare mm-hmm. i think yeah interesting okay I, I pulled some quotes from a new york times piece called in this korean bestseller a young mother is driven to psychosis by uni uh, hong uni hong and i'm just going to read through a couple of them quickly i thought there were some really well put just descriptions and criticisms in here the woman begins this article by saying that this book was a real a pain to read or something like that only because of how realistic it was and how thorough it was and then she concludes by saying but then my experiences are ordinary as ordinary as the everyday horrors suffered by the book's protagonist ji young this novel is about the banality of the evil that is systemic misogyny that's just such a concise way to put this book and i in all of our discussion i don't think i would have ever put it as nicely and succinctly as just the banality Mm -hmm. of it all of the system and of how and, you know, I it was reading it. Did reading it make me feel that way and feel bored by it and kind of kind of stretch it out? No, it's so readable. It's so accessible. And I think it just keeps, you know, the pace of it and some of the character work in it is just compelling enough. So I didn't I never felt bogged down in that way. But it that is the world it conveys for sure. And it conveys it well. It was such mm-hmm. a good term. A couple quotes here at the end of that review as well. At first, the footnotes were distracting. Then I realized their purpose was to suggest the degree to which the travails of Ji Young, a fictional character, are grounded in fact. And to me, by the end of it, they did feel essential. Right. I don't. They're odd, and I know I commented on this in Book Club One, but they're odd because there's no there's no literary attempt at voice, or you, there's no creativity in them. They are strictly factual, and they are literally research like, yeah. and that's fine. But I think if you're gonna load up a story like this that feels like it moves rapidly from one injustice to another, then it, it is helpful. It, I could see a skeptic reading this thinking, 
this is an absurd character who has all these problems, et cetera, et cetera. It's just a nice little rejoinder to yeah. that, I guess. And it, I think in that way, they're essential. They function well. I didn't, I don't know if I'd say distracting. I just thought it was odd. They were done with no narrative voice, with no attempt at an author just sort of playing with them or using them in a creative way, but they work. Final quote I'll read here. Like the Metamorphosis, Cho's novel is written in an unemotional, almost clinical style. By the end, we realize it's a case history narrated by Ji Young's male psychiatrist. It even includes footnotes and actual studies, and then that mentions the studies again. This person interpreted a couple things like the Metamorphosis, and especially that quote at the end where she's compared to a cockroach. And I just, I would be remiss if I didn't one more time say... Yes, and what a literary journey it could be if that were the if that were the story if, if her disassociation was the narrative. But then again, it, it the way it was written, the way the twist at the end worked, the way the psychiatrist told it, and the whole filtering, it worked very well. Such so a succinct and really kind of like all encompassing story. So as, as a project in that regard, uh, really quite yeah. impressive. So I was left in agreement. Those comparisons, though. While the metamorphosis is written that way, too, it begins with the that man as a bug and kind of goes mm-hmm. from there. And so when I saw that comparison, it just it made my brain light up again and think, ah, that was the yes, that was the narrative I thought I was getting in the first 10 pages. <laughs> anyway, final final time, I'll bring that up, because as a work, it certainly stands on its own and I think really came together in, in that final has a really just brutal twist in those final five yeah. or so pages. Any final thoughts on this novel, man? I uh, know I really enjoyed it, and yeah, this is—I guess she's written two other novels at least. So, yeah. Okay, excellent. I would, yeah, I'd like to see what she would do with some narrative voice that isn't—I mean, wasn't written so clinically for such right. a purpose, you know? See what other kind of, yeah, what other kind of narrative she likes to construct and characters and voices she likes to yeah. construct. That would be intriguing. It's—I mean—telling enough that our the slimmest volume so far inspired the longest pod. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> That's, you know, credit to it for sure. <laughs> that I think is telling. <laughs> Let's do a couple reminders here at the end. We are the Lightly Literary Podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook where we have groups and pages set up to follow. Please recommend us, review us on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. We have books coming up. We always pick um, a few ahead. So the next three books we've got coming up in order are Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid, and The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. Feel free to Google those, look up Wikipedia entries about what they're about, or, you know, wherever you do your internet research. We'll have those coming up in the similar, actually the same installments. We'll do keep doing our book recommendations on a Monday, followed by two book clubs on the, you know, following Fridays. That is the release schedule. Amanda, any final parting thoughts here? Nope, I'm good. Excellent. We thank you, as always, for listening. We're flattered you joined us for this one. Check out some of those new books we have coming up. And as always, we'll see you between the pages. <laughs> <laughs>